Okay, so before the podcast starts, I just want to apologize. I brought on Kyle Goon. He covers the Lakers, and you were going to hear us talk about that team. You know, what's wrong? LeBron at the five. Lakers optimism. But the file corrupted. It's a really tricky thing, recording audio, dealing with audio. Sometimes these strange things happen. I don't know. It just didn't record the second half of our talk. But the good thing is, if you want to hear about the Lakers, just tune in to literally any podcast talking about basketball. Turn on your TV. Contractually, by the FCC, someone is required to be talking about the Lakers at all times. It'll just pop up if you wait five minutes or so. As far as this podcast is concerned, here's half of my conversation with Kyle Goon. And then I caught up with Andrew Lopez of ESPN. Talk about another team with playing aspirations, the Pelicans. What Nikhil Alexander-Walker brings to Utah, that trade, and more on the teams scrapping out for the 7 through 10 spots. Anyway, I'm sorry. Please forgive me and enjoy the show. Kyle Goon. He is the reporter for the Southern California News Group, and he joins utahjazz.com, Round Ball Roundup, on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS 3112, equal housing lender. You covered the Super Bowl. How was that? No, it was great. um, I've never covered a Super Bowl before. uh, Out in SoFi Stadium, which um, if you see, if, if you fly into L.A. from above, it looks... And and very much like a spaceship, it looks like Independence Day is happening. Um, and but it's it was really cool. Um, I'd never been to a game at SoFi Stadium, and then um, you know obviously the Rams were playing, so it made it only you know 60 40 percent split between Bengals fans dominating the stadium and, and Rams fans. So um, it, it was just a cool game to be a part of. It was really entertaining. Um, and, uh, it was a little bit out of my normal beat. So it was a, it was a little bit refreshing to kind of do something, um, so different from, from what I normally do. You get this assignment and it's a sport that you haven't covered during this season. How do you approach it? How do you dive into only the biggest game of the entire <laughs> year? Yeah, it was great. You know, after, after all season, just kind of following that team. No, it it was so different because, you know, I went to the NBA finals, um, but it was also in the bubble. Um, So, you know, it's just in some ways similar, in some ways, just polar opposites of, of what a championship event is. Um, You know, I, I actually asked to, to, if, you know, if there's some small way I could be a part of it. And um, I don't know someone was asleep at the wheel and let me do it. Um, but yeah, it was just, it, for, for me, it was a little matter of just kind of trying to focus in on, um, you know, two or three things that I might be able to write about. And then uh, I ended up writing about Aaron Donald and, and deciding that I was going to go that way uh, before the end of the game. And then by the end of the game, um, you know, it, it worked out uh, the, the Kevin Modesti who's our lead, Rams beat writer after, you know, Aaron Donald throws Joe Burrow to the turf said, Oh, well, Kyle's living right. <laughs> that's a, that's how we know. 
that's how we know the perfect story kind of lands in your lap. And so, I mean, it's, it's a lot different of a pressure than being like, oh, I must tell the capital S story of, of this team, of this game and, and cover all the bases. And, and I got to narrow my focus a little bit and, and just concentrate. What's the biggest difference in covering the NFL from the NBA? Because NFL, you're so high up. NBA, you're closer to the action. You know the the primaries a little bit more because they're not wearing helmets. What was your biggest difference? Yeah, I mean, I spent a good amount of that game uh, looking at Aaron Donald's body language through binoculars. So that that's definitely one difference. Um, you know, in SoFi, the, the press box is covered in glass. So you don't get, I would say you don't really get the organic feel of what the crowd is doing. I mean, obviously there were possessions where we could hear, you know, big Bengals who day chance or, you know, some reaction or, but um, I posted this in my story. Maybe you saw it when the rock is like doing his big promo for the game, um, you know, it took four and a half billion years for the Super Bowl to, this is our greatest achievement as a planet. Um, he was doing all that and I really couldn't hear it, even though he's, he's probably uh, the loudest person who's ever spoken in any event ever. So it, it, it there was a sense of removal um, and sometimes it's good so you can concentrate and sometimes you just want to feel organically what's happening in the arena and in the, in the stadium and just sort of the ebb and flow. And, and that was something I really missed in the bubble where um, you know, the audience, you just realize how much they're a part of everything and how they punctuate the, the high points. They, you know, they kind of rumble when at the low points and, and boo and all those things. So it just part, part of that just being removed from that a little bit has its um, productivity positives, but then it's just sort of organic negatives, I guess. Were you able to see the halftime show? I was. I and enjoy was. it. Yeah, I went over to my friend Candace Buckner from the Washington Post, and we were kind of vibing together. Apparently, my mom told me that uh, my grandma called her after uh, after the halftime show, my 90-year-old grandma, and said, wow, I love this halftime show. They're playing all my favorite songs. <laughs> Deal with it, America. If Barbara Goldstein can deal with it, you guys can deal with it. No, but it was so cool. And I, I think being in LA for a couple of years now, you kind of get just how much about the culture that show was. And that's just not something that a lot of uh, Super Bowl halftime shows are able to access, in my opinion. Do you catch up on the ads? Did you miss those in the press box? Yeah, I spent about... 20 to 30 minutes going through some ads when I got I home. I was going to say. Yeah. So I know you're born. Larry Larry was in one. Larry David. Who's shocked that a rich dude is into crypto? That is <laughs> shocking. I was I I have to say I was not. LeBron also did a crypto commercial. I'm sure they'll hold up well, historically. Wednesday, do you cover the game or do you cover the parade? I, I, JP, I try to only engage in um, one event per week that's going to require me to navigate traffic. Um, 
I try, but you know that, that I, I, I look. I think sure it'll be very cool. Um, I'm gonna enjoy it from my ivory tower in Santa Monica, uh, and and sort of maybe watch on TV a little bit. But I, I, that that's that's not why I do this. I I, I kind of I, I like to be about the games and you know if, if the one obviously I'd I'd um I'd cover it and, and write about it and go to it um but uh you know just just the the one pinch hit for me I I like the uh, I like popping in on the game popping out um and and just kind of doing it that way how long did it take you to get back from SoFi um actually not that long but I left at like 9 30 so it only took me like 30 minutes to get out um but yeah it was it wasn't that bad um just you just gotta wait it out you know i had a little tent in my car maybe thinking about maybe do pulling up a tent at the forum um but no it, it actually wasn't that bad and, and i and getting there wasn't that bad either but i was sitting there at i was sitting in the press box at 11 15 and the game didn't start till 3 30 so <laughs> precautions were taken <laughs> precautions were taken well at least you were able to see set the scene see who was coming oh. in chain smokers played the super bowl dog did you see that the super bowl <laughs> marty fish had a tweet let me like the super bowl party the super bowl soundstage or whatever i think whatever the early thing was um how am i just learning about the chain smokers damn these dudes are good former usa tennis number one Marty Fish. These dudes are good. <laughs> <laughs> this is the information I bring you. Get the gram, the most important part of the Super Bowl. Yeah. Why even go to the Super Bowl if, if it's not going to end up on the gram, you know? That's, That's my big. biggest takeaway is that you got a, a picture at the Super Bowl. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was. And we got got our uh candace and i got a, a joint picture taken by a 17 year old in bengal's jersey named named sam so good for him thank you sam wherever you are um no but it was just kind of cool navigating the stadium uh walking around an event level candace really wanted to see if uh mary j blige was was just strolling sauntering at the event level we didn't see her that time i we doubt also that. three hours early but you know yeah it was yeah it, but it was it was fun just to kind of get a feel for what that venue is like i mean obviously the the newest venue in the nfl um and probably i i suspect one of those venues that when they build the next five nfl arenas they'll they'll look at the sofi blueprint in one way or another and hopefully it hopes more super bowls yeah i mean intuity I mean, come on. Do you do you you want to go to Detroit or something? Come on, Minneapolis. I would love you know to go they, to New York. You, you know the where Meadow they Lines? has the the Super Bowl media party? Where? Universal Studios. Oh, got to got to ride rides for four hours. By the way, there's gonna uh, hopefully there's like five to ten high schoolers listening to this podcast and being like, "Wow, I need to go into sports journalism." It's a vivacious field with opportunities to ride free amusement park rides. It sounds great. Yeah. That sounds like the life for somebody coming up, <laughs> a journalist thinking about this field. Let's go to your day job. What's wrong with the 
Yeah, I mean, if I had to put a finger on it, um, I mean, there's so many problems, but the biggest one of all is probably just the His final form, I guess. Maybe, maybe not even his final form, but his next form. Uh, I think the Jazz have that guy right now in Jordan Clarkson. Uh, Nikhil is a guy who's going to come in. Uh, he's he's never seen a shot. He's not afraid to shoot, and he's going to get in there and he's he's going to get shots up. He can be uh, a scorer off the bench. The problem with Nikhil has been up and down. It's been efficiency, uh, shot selection, but. I think in, in New Orleans, he was in a, a bunch of different roles. Um, I remember his rookie. I mean, he, he was also under three different coaches in New Orleans in his three seasons. He had Alvin Gentry his first year, Stan Van Gundy his second year, and then Willie Green uh, this year. Willie was probably the one who kind of started to unlock a lot of what he did. He kind of got him going downhill more. But, he, he, look, he's a guy who's going to come in, and he's, he's going to get buckets. I mean, that's what he can do. He can score. Um you know, 11 points two years ago. He was averaging 12 and a half this year, I think. So, or 12, 12.8. Um, he is a, he can score the basketball. It's just, you know, sometimes he kind of, he'll get in his own way sometimes. But to his credit, he fights through it. I mean, he, he, he's given us some of the better quotes of the year. Like, uh, when, like he had a one breakout game and then, you know, he's like, man, I needed to see the ball go. And he's like, I've been asking T-Spoon, the Teresa Weatherspoon, his, his, uh, player development coach when's the ball going to go in I just need to see it go in and he's very kind of aware of, of, of what's going on so I think maybe the, the the change of scenery is probably uh something that he needed that was the concern because when it seems like if you're being traded on your first contract the original spot just didn't work out something didn't click was it that shot selection his willingness to put up any shot the real inhibitor on on what he was doing in New Orleans yeah, I think also it was it was definitely the roles changing. I mean, that was that was okay. more of a bigger thing. Um, what it, whether he was coming off the bench or not his first year, whether whether like like this year he started the first nineteen or twenty games, and then they decided to bring him off the bench. Where, where was he more comfortable? And then I think it became shot selection because I think different coaches were really kind of asking different things from him, right? And I mean, and I think that's what ended up kind of screwing the process up for him. Uh, and, but I think what you ultimately saw was, was, was a guy who, who could just get to the basket. Now the shot selection needs to, to improve. Um, and the, the, the efficiency needs to improve, but I think it, it can, he has shown that it can. Um, but, you know, if, if you're New Orleans, I don't think it was necessarily a situation where you were giving up on Nikhil. It, it just became a numbers game. Like if you're going to try to get back a guy like CJ McCollum, who is making $30 million, you have to send out a lot of money and then you have to send out a, a Tomas Sadoransky with a $10 million deal. You have to send out a Josh Hart on a $12 million deal. Okay. Well that leaves about four to 5 million that you need to find. And Nikhil was that guy. And ultimately, as we saw, and, and Garrett Temple, who is, uh, just joined the Pels this year is one of the vice presidents. Um, 
for the PA. Great all-around guy. We talked to him the day of the trade, and he mentioned, you know, how Nikhil took it pretty hard. I mean, obviously we all saw what happened that night when Josh and Nikhil showed up to the game, and I think it speaks volumes about both Josh and Nikhil and about the Pelicans organization and what Willie Green is trying to do right now. But we talked to Garrett Temple earlier that day, and he – I heard from multiple people inside the organization that Nikhil was not, did not take the trade well because it was, you know, the original thing he looks at it as is, oh man, somebody's, you know, somebody, they don't, they don't want me. Like the team that picked me doesn't want me. And as Garrett pointed out to him, well, if somebody is trading for you, that means that they want you. Now he goes to Portland, obviously originally. And then Utah says, no, we want him. And they make a move to bring him in. So I think that's only going to help him out knowing that, okay, maybe maybe I wasn't just a throw-in piece in this deal. I, I was moved in a second deal. That means somebody wants me. And I think that can also help his development. What were those emotions that night? Because that was – it seemed – like something that really doesn't happen in the NBA where you have players who are traded actually watching the team that they were traded from courtside. And and not only like doing that, like cheering for them and cheering yeah. for the guys on the team. So it started like it was in shoot around um, that morning when they, they got the news that everything was going down. So Nikhil was in the, was in the, the, you know, the practice facility and it was an emotional time, especially for a guy who, uh, you know, had spent his whole, whole career here. And when I think it got to the game that night, we were talking to some people and, and we kind of heard, they're like, Oh yeah, yeah. Josh and Nikhil might come to the game tonight. And I'm like, Oh, okay, sure. Like if you say so. And, and then I remember open, like we open up and, Opening tip happens, and then here comes Josh Hart walking out the locker room in a Brandon Ingram jersey, mind you. Yeah, in the jersey, yeah. That was also an added layer to it. So later on, we were told Nikhil was in the arena the whole time, but just he just didn't go out to the courtside. He came out to courtside at halftime. And I mean, and those guys spent the second half cheering for for their team. And it was one of the more remarkable scenes that I think I've seen. Covering sports in general. I mean, you know, I've covered college football, covered the NBA, covered college basketball, but college baseball down here, which is big. Never seen anything like what I've seen. I mean, I, you know, been in the Saints season ticket holder. Like I've, I've seen a lot of, a lot of sports in my life. And for them to the, the, the line of players and coaches and coaches, families and players, families, um, that just went up to them. It, it was it was kind of surreal. I mean, I think ultimately they actually had Brandon Ingram's tickets. I think those were the seats that they were in. Um, wow. Brandon said that Nikhil had his ticket, so he thought he was coming. Maybe they shifted where the actual tickets were once they realized that that both guys were going to come. But like Nikhil had Brandon's tickets for the game. Um, that's how kind of Brandon knew maybe a little bit before had <laughs> everybody else, but. Um, for both guys, I mean, Nikhil and Josh, it was kind of surreal. And I, I kind of went up. Josh kind of took off right after the buzzer because he kind of said all his hellos and goodbyes during the game. But Nikhil took pictures with any fan who stuck around. He he took a group shot with the ball boys, had a couple of, you know, individuals with those guys. 
there were guys walking around the stands, like just coming down. Like, and I mean, I'd, I'd say Nikhil stood there for 15, 20 minutes and took pictures with everybody. And there was, there was one fan, I think, who, who, who tweeted that, you know, Keel told him, he's like, man, this stuff hurts uh, having to be, having to be traded. I, I hurried up. I went over there and, and, and talked to him real quick. And um, I was like, man, what, I was like, why'd you, why'd you come tonight? Like, what, what made you want to come? He's like, I, I just had to say goodbye to everybody. He's, and you got to think about that sometimes. I mean, we, and Willie talked about this, Willie Green. They can say goodbye to some of their team, like to their teammates there, but like it's security, it's the ball boys, it's fans you see at the arena, it's ushers you see at the arena, it's other. I mean, and it's just a layered thing. And Nikhil is a very mindful and thoughtful person um, who thinks about those kind of people. And so for him, it was you know, I just it's got to come back and do it. So it, it again, it just speaks volumes to the to the character of, of, of both Josh and Nikhil. What type of personality is Nikhil in a locker room uh, he's joining a team that is already flush with veterans has a lot of pros on this team how will he integrate into this system in this well team? he was the DJ in New Orleans so I don't know how that's gonna work I'm, I'm sure I doubt he's gonna get the ox cord yeah I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna guess he's not gonna get that in Utah I'm gonna guess he's got a couple of layers to go before he yeah. can get there uh, that was kind of, I guess, his benefit of coming in on a team with a bunch of young dudes was he could he could take it, and Brandon probably didn't care as much. Like, so, but look, he is a he is a fun loving guy. He is a obviously a great teammate. I mean, you don't have have those sorts of moments if you're not a great teammate. But you know, he I remember going back to his rookie year. Uh, he was uh, obviously the, the 17th pick in the draft. Jackson was the eighth pick, and obviously Zion was the first pick. And they, they basically, they called themselves the Rooks. And they went everywhere in this city together. That was like, you know, pre-COVID times where you could do stuff. All the, all the uh, and it's hard to remember, I think, for some people when, when you can just go, go anywhere at any time. But they would, they would go to football games. They would go to, high, to college basketball games. They would go to different, like, they were just going crazy you know, down here. And I think it was just him building up these relationships. I mean, you, you listen to a guy like JJ Reddick talk and JJ Reddick was like, Nikhil was like a little, he, in fact, I remember him at one point calling Nikhil like a little puppy of like somebody who just followed him around. And JJ was one of those guys who wanted to get to the facility seven, eight o'clock every morning. And as soon as Nikhil saw that, he was like, all right, I got to get to the facility at seven, eight o'clock every morning. I have to watch J.J. Reddick go through his shooting routine. I have to go through it with him. Um, he then decides to continue to, you know, try to try to do those things on the court. Then it was, okay, now I'm going to be J.J. I'm going to try and be J.J.'s going out to dinner, buddy. And I'm going to start doing things like that. And the Pels had to have their pre-training camp workouts this year in Nashville because Hurricane Ida had come through the city and it, things were kind of, that area was without where the facility is may have been without power for about two, two weeks, maybe a little bit more. So it was, it was kind of a, 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 a tough go. So they, they moved to Nashville. Um, Garrett Temple, who I mentioned a, a Baton Rouge native, Louisiana guy, uh, his first night in Memphis, I think took maybe the first, first one of the first nights in Memphis took the whole team to dinner. And the sees that and goes, I want to do that. And so I had a couple of people tell me that, Okay, the next dinner, Nikhil was like, all right, let's go. 
And he is, he has just been a guy who's his teammates are going to love him. I don't, I don't, I've never heard a teammate say a bad word about Nikhil. Even when Nikhil was going through his struggles, it was keep shooting, keep going. Like you're going to do like, it was all positive stuff. So he's going to be a guy that everybody loves, you know, maybe he just won't love that. He won't, you know, get the off court this time. (laughs) He'll have to figure out a way to, to get it in the queue, you know, maybe a couple. Maybe, maybe he slips in it. Yeah. Maybe he slips in at like 6am to get his shots up. And then like his music's already playing. It's like, Oh my God, it's already on. Now, let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. What the Pels did at the trade deadline, going and becoming the union team, now that they have the union president with CJ McCollum as well. What are they doing in now without Zion on the floor in trying to figure out a way to get into that play-in position? Because I'm sure that would be a successful season, getting to the plan and then eventually getting to the playoffs. Yeah, especially considering you started the year 1-12, 3-16. I mean, it was was a bad start. Uh, You were trying to find out lineups, I think, some of that was you were waiting on Z to come back kind of like around the corner. But ultimately it was just guys were waiting for this. How long is this going to be like? And then eventually they kind of just settled down and said, look, we just got to play ball. And I think since that three and 16 start, they're playing in the 500 or around 500 ball, maybe a little bit more. Uh, uh, but right now it's look, let's see what we have with Brandon Ingram, but we knew we needed to get Brandon Ingram some help on the offensive end. There were certain times where they just, the open shots weren't falling. The off-the-dribbles weren't falling. I think they're toward the end of the league in both off-the-dribble shots made and off-the-dribble field goal percentage this year. CJ McCollum is very good at both of those things. So you're adding a guy who is a 20-point scorer for the last seven years into this lineup, and I think it works. And I think they're still trying to tinker with lineups, still trying to see where guys are. But I think the, the biggest thing is, you know, it gives them a scoring punch. And – you know, when Zion does come back to the lineup, whenever that is, now you have a, a, a pretty decent big three in CJ, Zion, and B uh, that other teams have to account for. And I think, you know, some people have kind of pointed out, well, what does that mean for the defensive end? Well, if you just score 125 points a game, I don't really think the defensive end matters as much. Um, so maybe, I don't know if that's their goal, but, you know, they, they are going to be a very good offense, I think, once you get all three of those pieces going. Um but until that third piece gets back, now you have two very good pieces. Uh, we saw CJ, his first night, CJ, I think, got in at 12.30 in the morning, um, was on five hours sleep, went to shoot around, went through all day trying to learn plays and practice in, in uh, you know, out-of-bounds plays, gets to the arena, shoots six for 21. He didn't have his legs. He was tired. He gets two nights of sleep, and then he comes back with a 36.11 rebound game shooting 15 for 24 uh, the other night. So I think that's going to work out in the long run, judging by how he's, he's been. So 
Uh, but you're right about about the plan. They're, that's what they're going for. They, they held the 10 spot for a few days. I think they just slipped back behind Portland again. But um, the goal is to make a push, and, and they, they believe CJ is going to help that. And, again, if you want to get good players, sometimes you got to send out good players, and that's, you know, that's why I guess we're talking right now. Well, and I'm sure you, know, you heard this too. The plane altered how teams were operating at the trade yeah, deadline. For sure. With you, you still have an opportunity to go for it, get to the postseason. That's what Sacramento did, trying to get Domas Sabonis, and they had to give up a good player in Tyrese Halliburton. Uh, he became a Hall of Famer on Twitter uh, that yeah. day, but still, <laughs> you know, you have to give up good players to get good players. I think that's that, that's just what people like. I think NBA fans like I think forget sometimes is to get good guys. You need good guys. And especially in the NBA, you also have to match salary. It's not a, it's not as simple as, you know, in the NFL, Oh, I can go trade for whoever, as long as he fits under my cap or in baseball, you could take on however much money you want, send out however much money you want to get whatever salaries have to match players. I mean, it's just a tough go. And I think fans sometimes forget that, especially on Twitter when you're trying to grade trades immediately after (laughs) What's what's going down? And I didn't know that there was this huge Tyrese hive. My goodness, Iowa State, shout out. Yeah, Tyrese, look, I'm still in the comp- uh, the, the, the camp of like, uh, I really want to see how this plays out. Like, Domas is really good, right? I mean, he's a two-time all-star. He is an excellent basketball player. Of the three guards, though, I mean, I, I think maybe I would have tried to, tried to keep Tyrese. But again, you have to send somebody out, so. But it's like you said, it's a push for them. It's a push for Sacramento, just like New Orleans is doing, because you don't know. You look at, I mean, let's just look at both LA teams right now. The Clippers are, are down Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Okay, well, what's going to happen there? Ty Lue is obviously a fantastic coach, and he's got those, those guys playing. They bring in Norm Powell, Robert Covington. They're going to try to fight. I mean, we really don't know what's going on with the Lakers right now. I mean, I, I, don't, I never want to bet against the Lakers because I don't want to bet against LeBron James at any point. But, you know, he's been he's been dealing with uh, injuries this season. Anthony Davis has been dealing with injuries. Obviously, the Russell Westbrook situation is kind of looming over them. So you think you may have a path in. You can OK, if you catch Minnesota, who's a young team, they've been having a good season. Or right, maybe you can catch them on one night. It, it's because of the 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 style of it. I know it's two games if you're you know, you're seven or eight or two games to win if you're 10 or nine. It just, it, those one game kind of situations gives you, a, I think it breathes a little bit of life into you. I think it's six and six. Top six, I think, is pretty yeah. locked in with, with who they are. It's going to be the seeding on, on those top six. And then the bottom six fighting for that play in. One of those teams isn't going to be there. And is it going to be Sacramento? Is it going to be Portland um, or or one of the L.A. teams? Uh, I think definitely Portland's going to sink back without Dame and losing CJ. I mean, sure, they add Josh Hart, but right. losing that big scoring punch alongside Damian Lillard, that's going to impact whether they're going to, to make the playoffs. And that's an opportunity for a team like the Pelicans as a team like the Kings trying to catch that squad. Yeah, same thing with the Spurs, too, who just who don't seem yeah, to Spurs. go away as, as Pop, Pop is kind of chasing uh, you know, the all-time wins record. Chasing the all-time wins record seems high. It seems like you came back just for that. Pop's just going to get the all-time wins record because it's Pop, right? And um, we're not counting Larry Brown's wins in the ABA. Otherwise, he would be at the top of that. Correct. Um, so, just, just I mean, 
it gives you life as a team that's really a, a 400% win, winning percentage. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm, I just pulled up standings right now. Toronto, I mean, Portland is at 404. The Pels are, are, are you know, 39.3. Uh, Spurs are 38.6. Sacramento's 37.9. In any other given year, you're five games back at the eight. Mm. All right, maybe, maybe, maybe let's let's punt. Let's look to next year. Yeah, but it gives you a chance right now, and especially I think one of the things about the play-in tournament was that it was designed for if a team has to deal with injuries and or deal with something. And I think that's what you're seeing with a lot of these teams. It, it, it's just going to give them life, and I think it's it's a great thing. I, I know it kind of was born out of the you know, the, the, the COVID year of having to try to make up games for teams and, you know, especially the Pelicans. I mean, they were charging, they were three back with 15 to play, had Memphis three times, I think, or two times on the schedule. The Spurs, like they were in a position playing their best basketball. And I know obviously they didn't make the play in, but I think that was one of the better things that came out of that year is something that can give teams some hope at the end of the year. And we don't, we don't see as much, you know, tanking and things like that until maybe, you know, the last week or two. Well, for most teams <laughs> Con- contractually obligated uh, Zion Williamson question uh, what is happening with him uh, how much longer until he returns uh, we well we, we got a chance to talk to, to David Griffin last week and the the only update that he had for us at that time was and this was uh, last Thursday so it was just on trade deadline day uh, he said Zion Williamson is is going to get another set of imaging soon um, you know anecdotally he said he, he looked great uh, felt great, but um, there will be another round of imaging either at the end of this week or early next week to kind of determine uh, where we are with the next steps. It's just it, it's been a, a bone healing issue for the entire time. And, you know, I think the kid wants to play. It's just everybody's trying to make sure we they, they do what's best, not only for him uh, in the short term, but uh, in the long term as well. Why is he doing his rehab in Portland? This is an aside. Uh, it it was a it was a decision like I, I think it was a little hard for him to kind of have to watch his his guys go through it knowing he couldn't be there and this was a decision that they made to all right look here's a place you can go everybody kind of look it, it, it's easier for you to just kind of get away for a little bit let's you know kind of help you out help us out and then I think it's just kind of was one of those things that they decided was just you know best for both parties at the time there's, I mean they're, they're, they're still fine like I, I know Pell's GM Trajan Langdon went up to see him like a couple of weeks. Like it's not, it's not like, all right, you just go away and come back whenever you feel like, like there's communication there. It's everybody's kind of on the same page. Is there a matchup that that team would particularly want in the play in playoff race when it comes down to it towards the end of the season, or is it too early? I think they just want to get in. I think, I think any, any matchup is going to be good for them because that means they made it to the play in tournament. I don't think it matters if they get a Laker matchup, a Clipper matchup, a T-Wolves, or if one of those teams falls out and they get sent. They just want to be in. Get in, and then they can figure out. Uh, when you're the 10 seed, you don't get to, you don't get to talk about matchups yet. You got you to gotta just get in there first and then see where it goes. Hang the playing banner. Absolutely. ESPN's Andrew Lopez. He covers the Pelicans for the worldwide leader. He joins UtahJazz.com. Andrew, thank you so much for taking the time. Thank you, guys. All right.